Blog Talk Radio. You all know how it goes by this point. And for the purposes of my own mental health, I think we're just going to keep cutting it off right there. Uh, yeah. You know, when Mark and I agreed on that song, I told him right off, I'm going to bag on that song every single time we start this show. Every single time. I don't have a, I don't have a massive moral or psychological objection to it. I'm just going to bag on it because it's what I do. I also couldn't help but remark that it was so deeply ironic to me that we were opening a series, uh, a time of the year when movies get dumb and really stupid, and I kind of cringe at them with the celebratory voices of children. I, I just couldn't help but wonder at the irony there. And uh, for the first time since we've started that theme, I think Mark and I are going to be at cross paths tonight. Uh, ought to be interesting. You motherfucker. What? <laughs> you said we're going to be across paths. I just Sorry, assumed gone. you liked the movie. I found it, you know, execrable. Anyway, no, this no, is the uh, Radlich and Broadcasting Network Movie Review Club. I'm Robert Winfrey. Over there is my theoretical boss. I say theoretical because I don't have a contract or get paid. But... It's Mark Radlich. He's coming to us all the way from Florida, and we all feel bad for Mark because he lives in Florida. How you doing, Mark? You motherfucker! No, um, no, I said that because you said we were going to be at cross paths. So uh, I'm just I'm being um, overtly uh, oppositional. Oh, you're trying to do a gimmick. (laughs) It's more of a gag, more of a gag, more of a bit. Yeah, I I know. Sell those too. <laughs> you you no selling motherfucker. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh boy. Um. Yeah. This. You know. Yeah. You and I occasionally don't agree on a movie. Um. And that's fine. I mean, I think two people can see can look at the same piece of art and come up with vastly different opinions on it and still have a conversation. What worked. What didn't work. And that really it comes down to opinions. And, you know, you and I are wired very, very differently. And so um, people will have the privilege of hearing two different, uh, two, two wildly different perspectives on the same piece of material. Um, that being said, 
I didn't think it would be this movie that would set us apart like that because it's normally something as retarded as uh, the age of um, age of extension transformers. Uh, you know, we, we were we were we could not have been further apart on that one. Um, so, so you fig- I figured once we got you know like you're not going to do Ninja Turtles this year, but you know some of the other movies that are coming out, uh, maybe X Men Apocalypse, maybe Tarzan, um, Independence Day. I really thought one of the bigger tentpole movies of the year, you and I would would, would smack heads on. Uh, I did not think it would be the quote unquote thriller. <laughs> that seeks to that seeks to tweak the nipple of the modern economic uh, issues we have going on in the world, money monster. So this ought to be an interesting conversation, to say the least. Yeah, again, normally it's the really kind of big budget stuff that we land far apart on because, and forgive me if I speak out of turn, but Mark, you're generally a happy guy as long as there's plenty of things blowing up, the storyline is at least somewhat coherent. Uh, I'll assume Age of Extinction is an exception because that was relatively incoherent. And let me, let me, Mike let me doesn't slide into the frame. Let me sum it up for you. I don't go to the strip club to hear financial, uh, to hear financial advice. And I don't go to my stockbroker uh, for him to show me his penis. You know, I, I, if, I, if I go to a thing, I expect a, I expect a thing that goes with that thing. And as long as I get that thing, I'm a happy guy. I, I don't see what's wrong with that. Uh, you're a happy person. You have a wonderful sliding scale. And I don't mean that as an <laughs> insult. Uh, I, I, I don't. I, I accept that a movie like, you know, The Godfather is not at all on the same wavelength as X- the money pit? coming up. X, uh, Age of Apocalypse. You're X-Men you Apocalypse. Should have said the money, Apocalypse. You should have said The Money Pit. Yeah, I'm trying very desperately to get you to stop making that joke. <laughs> I like the money pick. <laughs> Is my response Is to my that. Response <laughs> All right. Uh, so again, I acknowledge they're different, but I tend to hold them to similar standards as a whole, and that's how I wind up with movies that you know are enjoyable. Because uh, there are movies that I like that are not necessarily of high quality. I've talked about that here in the past. And that's fine. I will not defend them in terms of quality, apart from where I feel they're being unfairly criticized. And I was a little surprised when you came back from this and said you enjoyed it. Because I I knew what to expect when I walked into that movie. And for some reason, it wound up being so much worse. Than I anticipated. Okay, can I can I address that really quickly? So I went into this thinking it was going to be preachy on the level of Avatar or a uh, Michael Moore film. I really I thought the finger wagging was going to be so out of control and so bad that I would end up getting angry at the movie. Look, I'm not a huge fan of you know people who got away with murder during the economic collapse. Uh, and didn't face jail time or anything. And I can certainly sympathize with the loss of the American dream as uh, opportunities for the average educated middle American are, uh, are few and far between. Um, if you, all you have to do is follow me on Facebook and to a degree on Twitter to know that I'm a huge follower of, uh, as Jesse 
instructor has told me, it's called the singularity. Um, in layman's terms, I follow very closely the loss of jobs to AI, to uh, robots, machines, etc. This is not science fiction. This is becoming economic fact. Just look at the articles that are out there. They're not in, you know, they're, they're in everyday publications. You can find them in Forbes and Time, wherever. Um, there is tons of books written on the subject. And well, I, well so I, I am no proponent necessarily of people stealing from, uh, you know, the big companies and banks stealing from the little guy. Uh, I also don't need to be screamed at for, for 90 minutes. I'm, you know, it's, it's kind of, why are you yelling at me? I'm on your side kind of a thing. So I, it, one, I expected to see that in this movie. And luckily one of the reasons why I enjoyed it was it was kept to a minimum. Um, it, yes, there's some finger wagging in there, but it wasn't like they were, I felt like they were pointing the finger squarely at me saying, you're the idiot. Um, it was kind of, it was kind of, I, I, I refer to the movie as Wall Street for Dummies or Wall Street, uh, the 2016 remake for Dummies, in that the theme, once again, is, you know, <laughs> greed is good, is bad. Okay, oh, I agree with that. So, <laughs> so they kept it light in that sense. The other thing was I expected the action to be way stupid. Like worse than I know you think this is the worst movie ever, and you know, and a lot of it, it, and you'll we'll get into Robert Winfrey presents. This doesn't work that way. Uh, a little ways down the road here, but for the sake of brevity in this conversation, uh, I thought the it doesn't work that way was going to be a lot worse, and I was okay with what I saw on screen. Was it believable? No, but you know, I mean. I went into it going, I'm watching a fictional sort of uh, letter to the editor about the state of the economy and stealing from the little guy. So that's, and that's what I got. I got a, I thought the movie moved well. I'm going to let you go ahead and sum up some plot, but it met my minimum criteria. The movie moved at a fast pace. I thought the acting was fine. I thought the story in the universe that we were watching it in made sense. And the finger wagging was kept to a minimum. So I had a good time at the movies. Uh, if you really want to, I'm going to say it now, I'm going to repeat at the end of this. If you really want a movie that delves into the problems with, with the economic collapse and, and handles it uh, firmly but fairly, we reviewed it at the end of last year. It was called The Big Short, Go Watch It. If you just want to see Julia Roberts and George Clooney uh, in some schlock, where they, where, you know, where they send up Jim Cramer. This is the movie for you. All right, fair enough. Uh, no, look, I said this last week when we signed off and we knew we were going to be coming to this one this week. You're much better off renting the big short and watching that. It's a better movie on every conceivable level. If yeah, you want to... If you want to add some crappy thriller to that with political preachiness, though this particular film I'm about to reference is much preachier, also rent John Q. It's a movie about 10 years old, probably a little older, actually. Jeez, I'm old. Uh, starring uh, Denzel Washington, Robert Duvall, and is anti-HMO propaganda, by and large. But between, if you want, you know, a pseudo-thriller, and I say pseudo because there are no thrills, 
with political propaganda and a little bit of financial stuff thrown in. Just watch those two movies and you're better off and don't support crap like this. If you have HBO, I would also recommend watching um, uh, Too Big to Fail. Excellent. I'd second that. So, on to the actual plot of this mess. Fighting out of the red corner, we have George Clooney's chin, and in the blue corner, Julia Roberts' mouth. The winner? Well, oh. there are no winners, folks. Only losers when it comes to this. And that's going to be the last time we reference anyone's looks in this review, Mr. Winfrey. How dare you? Yes, Jesus. it is. Three out of three middle-aged women that I Let's work not, with. Don't start down that rat mark. I'm gonna don't start because I I will I will have to respond and we'll just start going off. I I'll, I'll let you have the last word, but what I want to say right now on this podcast: three out of three middle-aged women that I work with find Julia Roberts to be classically beautiful. So there. <sighs> Yes, and most women also think Julia Roberts is one of the women out there that women think men should find attractive. There's her, there's Jennifer Aniston, and there's a third one I always forget. And I'm sorry. A, for, okay, first of all, my preferences are way out of line with the, the societal and social norms. Scott Baio? I, I, no. I, no, do not mention men. I'm a heterosexual man. <laughs> I, I just absolutely don't care about aesthetic beauty if there's no other context for it. So I, I do not represent the average American male who, is, who finds women attractive, whatever you happen to identify from an orientation standpoint. Like Margot Robbie. Yeah. I, I again I just eh. I, I I have no context for it. That being said, no, Julia Roberts classic good looks are not relevant to the uh, quality of this picture. She is not a sex symbol. We should not be talking about her physical appearance because it has no bearing on the motion picture we're reviewing. Not at all. Again, my joke there, as I've been making it for a while, is about the size of George Clooney's chin, at least on screen, and the fact that she has a disproportionately large mouth. And I found it amusing to stage this film as a cinematic battle between those two facial features. Yeah, they're, they're fighting for screen time, guys. They're trying to cut each other Boo. off. Boo! Boo me? I think it's funny. Boo! Anyway, moving beyond that, because, yeah, the, plus, uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest, you could have replaced this entire cast. Uh, none of them matter. All right, uh, so this particular film, Money Monster, uh, we open a few minutes from going live with a send-up of every... Wall Street stock analysis investment tip television show on the airwaves. But mostly Jim Cramer. Okay, sure, Jim Cramer. Uh, this show stars George Clooney, uh, whose character's name is Lee Gates. I'm not going to remember any of these characters' names. I'm going to refer to them as actors because, hey, no one cares about the characters. Because we're not given any reason to care about the characters. I'll get back to that in a minute. 
Uh, he is somewhat uh, not butting heads, but he has a the stereotypical "I'm the star, I'm going to kind of play fast and loose with the rules" versus his director Julia Roberts, who you know is a little bit more of a stickler kind of for procedure. And please, I know you're the one out there, but could you at least look over the script we're going to be going through, the talking points? We want to know. You know, what you're going to say when you get out there on live television, even though these things are never live. They're always pre-recorded. They're pre-recorded earlier in the day. They're not live because it doesn't usually work that way. So their, their relationship is not acrimonious, but again, there's just, you know, a little bit of friction there. As we go live on air, uh, we get to see George Clooney being a goofball because you're on TV, you gotta have a gimmick. Uh, A delivery man walks in through the back of the studio, locks a few doors, pulls a gun, fires into the air, and he has lost a lot of money, his life savings, to the tune of $60,000 based on a stock tip that George Clooney gave the world. Uh, This particular stock wound up tanking pretty hard not too long after he made that recommendation. Uh, There's no real – no one really knows why it happened. The explanation being given by the CEO of the company is there was a glitch with the algorithm because high-frequency trading, which the word they throw around a lot but never actually explain because this film and screenplayer is guilty of preying on the ignorance of the masses as, you know, Dominic West's character. It's not actually done by people so much as it is by computers operating at extraordinarily high speeds. Hang on, hang on. Uh, just for, just so you understand, by the by, for the rest of this podcast, I will be referring to a Dominic West character as McNulty. Fair enough, because Mark's existence begins and ends with the wire. Goddamn right. Ah. Uh, I need, you know what we need? If this were a visual medium at all, we'd need that gif that uh, Jesse Starcher posted of Doug the dog. Uh, I thought we needed a picture of Cookie Monster with a dollar sign on him. I find that hilarious. I'm glad you find something amusing. Anyway, the, the disgruntled person whose name is Kyle... Uh, I actually have no idea who the actor is, so I'll go ahead and refer to him as Kyle. Has George Clooney put on a bomb vest, uh, holds everyone hostage. He demands, you understand, Mr. Radlich, demands. He's had enough. He may as well be Jennifer Lopez from that terrible movie. He's had enough. He wants an answer. He wants to know why that company lost $800 million, why his money is now gone. Why, oh, why is the proletariat oppressed? These are the things he demands answers to uh, Live on the air And that particular sequence Begins Robert Winfrey's cavalcade Of things that don't actually work that way Uh, They stall out there uh, On live on air This particular gentleman airs some written grievances George Clooney tries to calm him down. Then he tries to escalate him. The cops are trying to figure out what to do. The director is still just trying to put on a quality show because they're still being broadcast live. Again, would never happen. But 
Let's just go ahead and roll with it. Uh, eventually, the uh, the people in that television station come to somewhat sympathize with Kyle, and they, too, decide they want answers in this particular instance. Why, oh, why is the poor working man being oppressed, and how can we pin this entire societal travesty on one human being? Well, okay, McNulty's kind of a douchebag, but still. He just plays a douchebag. Just Dominic West. That's his character description in everything. He's he's kind of a douche. <laughs> so they begin and, and they start investigating what happened because they're getting the runaround from some of the people at that company. One of whom was supposed to is goes live on the air to answer questions, and clearly the poor girl has nothing to give. This very slowly unveils a conspiracy wherein the CEO, again McNulty took $800 million from his company to invest in a... Uh, all right, let me, let me hold off. I'll get to what actually happened in a second. So they start investigating because apparently this group of news reporters have more drive and better wherewithal than both the police and the Securities and Exchange Commission when it comes to actually figuring out what happened here. Uh, yeah, again, not caring for this movie. Uh, they eventually get a brief interview with one of the programmers who designed the algorithm that supposedly fails. He says, yeah, no, what I, the way I designed that, the way it's written, the way it's programmed, it could not possibly have done that because algorithms are predictable to a varying degree, especially if you know the programming. If you don't, they're kind of a pain, but you know the programming, yeah, they behave very specifically. Uh, the police are trying to defuse the situation, but the bomb vest that George Clooney has on is being, trigger- is being triggered by a dead man switch. So they're in the, at a bit of a loss. They decide, the police, that they're going to shoot out the receiver on the bomb vest because it's located low around the kidneys of George Clooney. And if you shoot it out, you're unlikely to actually cause enough trauma to kill him, especially if you can get to a hospital very quickly. There's only degrees of truth to that. Kidneys can bleed like a sucker if you puncture them. There's some major blood vessels there. Potentially survivable, but eh, dubious. Then they can take out Kyle because he's got a gun, and you know, then the bomb's no longer in play. George Clooney decides he doesn't want to be shot at. Understandable. Uh, when they realize that the CEO of this company is going to be in New York a few blocks from them, they decide to take this show on the road. George Clooney hides behind Kyle to walk the few blocks to Federal Plaza. Good grief. Yeah, sure. We're just going to let a guy with you know, pounds of Semtex strapped to him waltz into a federal. No, 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 none of this. None of this. Anyway, they actually... I'm going, I'm going. Anyway, they get there after Kyle accidentally shoots one of George Clooney's assistants. They get the CEO and they expose with all of their illegally obtained evidence. What actually happened was McNulty stole $800 million. Well, stole is a strong word in this case. It's more misappropriation of company funds. Misappropriated funds 
to invest in a single entity, this being a platinum mine in South Africa that was in the midst of a uh, miner's strike. And when the miners strike, production decreases or halts, leading to the price of the stock price of this company falling significantly. He buys low, then he bribes some people to end the strike. The company go becomes profitable again, and you can sell at a profit. This was his plan, but there's a honest union leader, as though that's not. Uh, right up there with military intelligence for or jumbo shrimp honest union leader but apparently they found the one union leader in you know the world who will not take a bribe and he's holding out on the strike because he wants better conditions more money it's never made clear why they're striking but they're striking and because they're still striking, the price of that particular company is still down, so he can't recoup his losses by turning over, by flipping the stock, leading to just a net loss for the company. Uh, Kyle decides he, he's not satisfied with this explanation because, A, very little of it is actually provable, again, certainly with illegally obtained evidence, not quite so much in a court of law. And he wants McNulty to admit that what he did was wrong somehow. I mean, sure. And McNulty, under threat of being blown up, even though it's not actually a vest full of Semtex, it's a vest full of clay bricks. Uh, He revealed that to George Clooney as they were walking between buildings. He eventually, again, under penalty of immediate death, decides to tell the maniac whatever the maniac wants to hear, he falls down when the guy throws the detonator at him anyway. Uh, Kyle is shot because he's a maniac with a gun. Uh, he dies. McNulty gets investigated anyway, though even the charge there kind of... Again, what he did, the legality of what he did is a gray area 90% of the time. He simply overwrote an algorithm in favor of making a human decision. And sure, there was a little back, you know, chicanery there. But again, there's a legitimate question as to whether or not what he did was terribly illegal. But he gets investigated anyway. Uh, There's a brief, very, very stupid subplot about Julia Roberts leaving that network to go to another network because she's tired of George Clooney's crap. She decides to stay. His assistant, who got shot, uh, he got shot in the shoulder. He's fine. Uh, It's fine. They reconcile in the waiting room at a hospital, and the bad guy gets his comeuppance. The good guys triumph. Uh, Even the bad guy, who was kind of a good guy, pays for his transgressions, and the world moves on. All right. Before I turn Mark over turn this over to Mark for a little bit for what he liked about this. Let me I'm going to say this once. And I'm hoping that I won't have to repeat myself too much with the same phrase. None of this is how this actually works. Absolutely none of it. Now, again, I I say that on occasion about movies because I know entirely too much. I acknowledge this. I acknowledge that I am not the average moviegoer 
who has no problem with it, who accepts that if you shoot a propane tank, it will result in a fiery explosion. It doesn't, but okay. If that's the way you all see it, fine and dandy. This was one of the few times I've watched a movie from start to finish and could not stop shaking my head going, that doesn't work like that. That doesn't work like that. That sure as hell doesn't work like that over and over and over again. None of it actually works like that. I will get into a few specific instances later, but I hope not to repeat that same phrase for the duration of this podcast. Mark, I found absolutely nothing redeeming about this movie whatsoever. Kindly defend it. I was entertained. Plugs? No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about this at the beginning. So here's, uh, here's what I liked about it. This was supposed to be an indictment of the, the moneyed class, the investor class, the uh, the movers, the shakers, the people who control the strings, that sort of thing. Um, they decided to, instead of, you know, like I think about Oliver Stone's Wall Street, and you know, and Oliver Stone was trying to do the same thing, but back in the '80s, um, where you know, where he had the uh, Michael Douglas character who, you know, greed is good. It's you know, it's okay to screw the little guy. You know, and why are you wrecking this company? Is Charlie Sheen? Charlie Sheen? Charlie Sheen asked him, because it's wreckable, that's why, you know, and I don't care about the little man. This was supposed to be along those same lines. And so I'm automatically interested in that kind of a story, number one. Number two, so, like, it hooked me just because I, I genuinely like to watch movies like that. Um, number two, I don't find anyone's performance here particularly lacking. I mean, I think if we're being fair and we're leaving prejudice out of this, um, and we're not being, uh, and I'm not saying you, you, you are definitely being this way, but if we're not being blinded by, uh, expectation or prejudice, everyone does a passable job, a serviceable job of getting across their characters and, um, being a part of the drama. At no time did someone act in a way, uh, that it took me out of the movie. Okay. So we have passable, serviceable, even good performances. I won't give you good. The movie moves along at a swift enough pace that I was at no time bored. Uh, it doesn't leave the average person. We're going to leave, you know, you out of this for a moment and your cyber brain. <laughs> um, but for the rest of us dumb folk, uh, the movie moves along fast enough that you, and actually one of the reviewers said this almost word for word. It moves along fast enough that you don't really have time to think about how dumb it is. You're just sort of in the moment, and it's moving along. Oh, I wish that were true. For the rest of us, um, <laughs> it's moving along at a, at a fast enough pace. I mean, is it roller coaster fast? No, it's not Transformers, but it's still, you know, but but it's still moving uh, fast enough that it's going from scene to thing to thing to thing without there being a whole lot of time for you to go, hey, wait a minute. That's dumb. Um, I thought the characters in and of themselves, I mean, Julia Roberts' character, you're right, is a little thin, but I thought the character, I thought the lead... Oh, you set me up and I'm not going to take the bait. Thank you. I think uh, George Clooney's character of Lee Gates 
is a good is as good a hero for this kind of a movie as you can get, as he does have an arc, which you want to see in a, in a picture like this. You want to see your main character make a change from one thing to another, and he does by the end of it because he be, he admits in the beginning he's sort of an empty shell and everything's a joke and he doesn't care. And at the end of it, he seems to genuinely care for this guy who's on his ass. There were a couple of surprises, a couple of minor twists or tweaks in the script that I didn't see coming. Um, the girlfriend going, I mean, the girlfriend going off on Kyle um, was okay and a twist I didn't necessarily see coming. It just went on too long and it, and it went a little over the top. When she starts in with, you know, you cry when we have sex, I was like, ooh, that needed an edit. <laughs> That was that was a bit of a jab that I was like, why? Why was that necessary? Um, so that goes a little too long. But uh, over, but the scene, it's but the interaction itself, I thought it was a good one, and it made it interesting, and it made Kyle even sympathetic in that one moment. Um, the what? What else did I like about it? Um, I was disappointed that at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it's 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 like Clue, you know, instead of the complexity that is, you know, international finance and, and markets and trying to do what the big short did and, and sort of break down the complexities so uh, so the, the, so it's a little bit more easily digestible for the masses so you understand how, how you got screwed and where all your money went. Um, this one sort of, it's Professor Plum in the conservatory with the, with the candlestick. Kind of an ending, um, and to be fair, much like our discussion of Captain America: Civil War, I liked the movie until it ended, and then at the end, it just sort of falls off a cliff. Um, it, it, it's as if they didn't really know how to end the movie, and so, like I said, it's a diabolical bad guy with a plan gone awry, and instead of really being true to reality. Uh, McNulty says, yeah, I, yeah, it was wrong. And in the one sense, I know what they were trying to get across. They were trying to give this a good, you know, a, a Hollywood ending. You know, the bad guy gets his in the end. But I actually thought it took the air right out of the movie. And it's one of the few quibbles I have with it. Other than generally, it is a dumb movie. But I like dumb. Um and it's sort of a weird thing to say that it, you, know, you take a serious subject like this and you handle it uh, in a dumb way, but it wasn't to me so dumb that it was insulting, but it was just dumb enough that it was a fun night at the movies on a subject that I'm interested in and don't necessarily every single time need to be, uh, need to be uh, emotionally distraught by the end of it. You know, there's a few movies that I've seen that deal with subjects like this, and by the end of it, I'm just like, well, there's no hope. I might as well walk off the face of the earth. You know, I'm gonna, go, I'm going to go live in the woods, kind of a thing. And I didn't feel that way. It was like, okay, I'm interested in the subject matter. It was handled okay for what they were trying to do here, and I had a fun night of the movies. Mission accomplished. So, if we want to get into some of the some of the more plot elements, that's fine. But that's all my overall sort of experience with this movie. Uh, good performance, good, okay to good performances, plot moves along fine, it was an interesting subject matter, and other than the ending, I thought the movie, as it, as it went along, uh, worked out well. I was genuinely interested to see what happens next, what happens next, what happens next, and I was only disappointed with the end.
Alrighty. Uh, no, the the pregnant girlfriend coming on was, I think, kind of the last straw for me when it came to <laughs> trying to suspend my disbelief. I mean, look, guy walks into a high-end television studio with a gun. No, no, that's not how that works. But, okay, if we're going to rely on tropes, sure, lazy security guards. Why not? I also, the, the worst offense in the movie was, um, was the, the hostage negotiator character, where, you know, oh, it's the... They produce a conflict that has no real purpose other than they, other than what they've got here is a really thin story, so they need to sort of throw on some fat that, came, that comes out of nowhere and serves no purpose. So they yeah, have this, that, that, was, that was pretty bad. So they have this hostage negotiator who's like, oh, this guy's probably a loner, and he fits the profile, blah, 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 you know, and they have this police captain who, you know, once they find out that the guy wasn't a loner and he just, and his mom had just died and he was married and having a kid, he was just like, ha, he doesn't fit the profile, you son of a bitch. That's like, easy. <laughs> like, like, what, how did he deserve that? You know, like, I didn't really understand what the point of any of that was. And it came, it really just came out of nowhere and was like, it was a waste of film time. But I guess if you don't throw stuff like that in there, this movie's about 20 minutes long. And it would be – I would prefer this movie if it were 20 minutes long. I mean, for crying out loud, there was a – no, no, I, and this is why the whole why for fiancé or girlfriend or whatever, knocked up chick. I don't think they ever talk specifically about the relationship other than he is the father of her unborn child. There is absolutely no way you inject an unknown element into an emotionally volatile situation, especially if there are explosives and handguns involved. She would never have been in that van sitting down talking to him until they knew what she was going to say. Absolutely would not happen. Okay, but let's let's talk serious for a moment, since we're... Since both of us seem to be focused on this one particular scene, I understand your thing about that's not realistic. Who cares? Here's the real question: Did you or did, did what did you think it added to the drama of the film? Because it was its purpose. Now, in in talking strictly in terms of film craft, the purpose of that scene was to make Kyle sympathetic. Okay, because up to this point he's a villain, but he's not really the villain, is he? Uh, McDulty's the villain. That's what the movie is trying to tell you, is that we start off with a guy who seemingly is a maniac and coming out of nowhere, but along the way we learn his story and we realize he's just some poor schlub who tried to do better for himself, listened to someone who was a supposed expert, and bought into a company that was supposed to be rock solid, and everything betrays him. And with nothing left, uh, with nothing left but his anger and his frustration goes and, you know, and takes it out on those people. So in the beginning, you have someone who is painted as a villain, but the movie needs to then move him into a, into a sympathetic role so that we can focus on the real monster, who is McNulty. And that is the whole purpose. That, that is, if you can picture like someone pressing on a lever and the track changing, that's that moment in the movie. Now, the real question isn't whether or not it was realistic. It, the real question is, did it 
or did it not make him sympathetic? Did it succeed in making him a sympathetic character? I think it does. What do you think? Eh, not so much. Why? Why do you disagree? Because his response to her, you know, emasculating him on live television in front of millions of viewers to tell the police, hey, don't you touch her. You just got your ass chewed by your old lady and your response is to still defend her. No, it made him seem like more of a wuss. Um, I thought that was believable. I'm, I know guys like that. I, I'm not, I'm not I, saying there aren't guys like that. I'm not saying it's not a believable response. I'm saying if the objective is to make him sympathetic, making him a pussy-whipped bitch does not work. Okay. You don't feel bad for him? At this point, no. Okay. You made bad choices. So you would say, Congratulations. So you would say, I mean, first of all, first of all, do you agree with my premise that that's what that scene is supposed to do? I will agree that with that statement that the intention there is to turn him into a sympathetic character, at least somewhat. Okay, but you say that that mission objective fails on face because it, you know, because you do, you don't feel sorry for an emasculated man. I don't feel sorry for a man who has done nothing proactive until he snaps. Well, buying the stock was proactive. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I'm even going to give him that one. Okay. I think you're being unusually hard on the beaver, but that's fine. Um, so, all right, what other... So, let's talk about a different scene. This movie, there's not a whole... I mean, I, I think you and I can sort of back this back and forth for an hour or so, but I want to keep... I want to sort of focus on certain scenes instead, instead of just arguing with one another over, you know, my opinion's the right one. Um, Fair enough. So, um, there was another scene in the movie that I thought was interesting, and it didn't necessarily go in the direction I thought it was going to go in. The scene where he, he, where Lee comes to realize that um, he can he can make the stock price go back up again, and he's sort of going through. But he tries to make a heartfelt speech to all of the people watching. Please buy this stock. We can get it back up to where it was when this poor guy bought into it. He can get out. We can all be happy. I'm begging you all, just buy. It's dirt cheap. It gets high enough up, then everything can be okay. You can save my life, people. That's got to be worth the, you know, 750 a share this stuff is trading at right now, and the stock price goes down. Right. It goes up momentarily, and then... And then proceeds, and then proceeds to crash momentarily. Um, what did you? I mean, what did you think of the drama of that scene? What it said about the characters, etc. I think it was the only quasi-interesting scene in the entire film. Everything else was cut and dry, paint by numbers. If you set up a template for a thriller you would have had this minus any real character development outside of George Clooney developing a bit of sympathy for the guy who's holding a gun to his head. And really there are better movies about Stockholm syndrome than this. <laughs> Don't think it was Stockholm syndrome, by the way. Um, it I thought wasn't, it was an but my point stands. I thought it was an interesting scene. I didn't, 
I was I wasn't quite sure where they were going, and and, and I and I and I legitimately had a Ugh, kind of reaction when the stock price when the stock price drops and you see George Clooney's face to sort of fall off, and the sort of collective reaction around him of Oh boy, your life ain't worth shit. And then of course the guy not making himself particularly likable, like see your life ain't worth shit. Like you're full, of, you're full of crap, and no one, and everyone thinks so. Like oh goodness. Everyone knows you're full of crap. You know, that that bull you were just spewing, nobody's buying because you don't even believe it. Yeah, I thought like oh interesting choice for that particular moment in the movie. Um, I actually right, like I like that it didn't work in the sense that it. Further, it just kind of further set up the character of you know George Clooney's isolation from everything around him and the shallowness of his existence, kind of coming back to bite him a little bit. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, actual character development beyond I'm starting to sympathize with you is completely lost on this movie. Well, you also complained about the the subplot featuring Julia Roberts and um, George Clooney, their their tenuous, contentious relationship and her desire to leave the show and not tell him, though he does know. Um, I don't know why you're having such an issue with that. I thought it was fine. I don't. I think... I have an issue crap. with it for the same reason that you have an issue with, oh, the hostage negotiator's a douche, and the uh, police captain, played by John Carlo Esposito, doesn't like him. No. It's stuff see, that is clearly tacked on to add runtime. See, I disagree in that, on this one. Well, they don't do anything with that. The hostage negotiator is in like two scenes. And one of them, he's proven to be an asshole for no good reason. And that is why I think it was tacked on. There's really no payoff. It doesn't add anything. It's like they just threw it in there, again, to eat up screen time. I thought the subplot involving those two was actually a necessary leg in the the table. Look, in, in producing a proper screenplay, you can't just have your one plot. Um, you know, there's always going to be subplots. And I thought having a subplot between your two main characters and their relationship, well, isn't that what movies are about? You know, I've said this in previous podcasts. In many ways, movies are about the relationships between people. And while we've seen this, I mean, if you want to complain that this is, that this is a, you know, a paint-by-numbers kind of relationship, oh, it's the hardworking woman and the flighty guy. Okay, we see that in like a million pictures. Like Hollywood just has that one always ready to go. The asshole guy, the you know, the it's moonlighting. Okay, moonlighting made this famous. You had Bruce Willis and what's her face, you know, and that famous. <laughs> no one remembers what's her face. <laughs> no, no one remembers what's her face, um, but everyone remembers Bruce Willis. And there's this famous exchange in moonlighting, um, and. Uh, it's like, you bet, you know, and she's commenting on his flippant rea- uh, attitude towards things, and he's commenting back at her that she's taking it to things too seriously. And, oh, isn't that every fucking relationship in Hollywood movies these days? The guy is a devil-may-care, wears his heart on his sleeve, who gives a shit flippant, you know, almost bohemian type. And the woman is a type A dragon queen. <laughs> if you want to complain about something, complain that that was about as old hat and hackneyed as anything else in this movie. But it's still, well. the, 
but it, it still needed to be there. And I think that even though it, it's as it, it's as contrived as boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, et cetera, et cetera, I think two capable actors can still pull it off and make it. I'm going to go with the word entertaining. Fair enough. I think if you trim that out, this whole movie, I I think you take, oh, what was it? Okay, there's a, I believe it's a Canadian television show that's off the air right now, but uh, airs and reruns, uh, called Flashpoint. I think if you cut the fat off of this, you basically, and make it a one-hour TV special, you could have had a much better entire property. That's how this whole thing feels to me. It's, it, it, again, and, okay, do we need some kind of conflict between them? Sure. I, I'm okay with them not getting along. I'll be perfectly honest, I would have thought more of this script if they had actually been adversarial instead of, well, she's leaving me just like my other three wives and a daughter who I send a check to, if they actually kind of go at it and are adversarial through the process, I think it's probably more entertaining than, oh, well, they're going to get back together at the end anyway. Well, I agree but disagree. By the way, what's her face with Civil Shepherd? Okay. I will not remember <laughs> that, but okay. Guess I ever bring up moon landing again because I, I tend to re- refer back to that one scene often. Um, I don't remember anything well, else moon about that. Moonlighting was a good show. I, I don't remember anything else about it except for that one exchange, and I swear to God, it has informed and affected my life in ways I'll never truly understand. But um, meanwhile, back in the city, uh, I mean, look, the point of this movie. The, the plot between Julia Roberts and um, George Clooney was a part of the movie, but it wasn't the main part of the movie. And at the end of the day, you really you, you, you got to get to the meat of the movie. Um, and uh, like like uh, to, to to use the phrase I like to use uh, in this situation, you got to get the kids to the mall. Um, and so I think you can if the movie is written well, and maybe here's here's where you know, we, 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 we might quibble a bit. If the movie is written well, you can intersplice the relationship issues in with the main issues going on in the movie without having to grant them their own separate time. Maybe the movie doesn't do the best job of that. Um, you know, maybe there's not enough of it uh, for your taste. Uh, but I got enough of the contention in the very early part of the movie. And, you know, let, let's face facts. You're, you're talking about, yes, this woman is going to leave him. Yes, this woman um, is tired of his shenanigans. But they're faced with a more immediate crisis, which she's, she's trying to deal with in, in the best way possible. Um, so there isn't a lot of time to deal with their interpersonal relationship anymore. Maybe there's a better way of doing that in the script than they did it, but that was sort of my my takeaway from it. I can appreciate what they were. The base, the goal, the attempt. The, you know, the attempt was pretty futile, but you know the the goal of kind of trying to flesh out the characters and whatnot. I, I appreciate the goal. I think it was very poorly executed. I find this to be a very poorly written film. 
you know, we, it got mentioned. This thing's only 98 minutes. And that doesn't, I believe that runtime actually includes the credits. This is a very fast movie, and unfortunately, that doesn't leave time for anything other than stock characters, which is all we get here. I mean, look, George Clooney, he's going to play this guy who's, you know, unable to settle, he's got, he's unable to settle down, and he's, you know, with women every night, and he's slick, and things go his way, but he's socially aloof, like that's difficult for George Clooney. And Julia Roberts is, boy, she's a tad bit exasperated, isn't she? But she's hard-nosed, and she's going to stick to it. And, well, again, it's Julia Roberts being Julia Roberts. I was dying watching this movie, waiting for some kind of reason to actually care whether or not these people get blown up. And I never get it. You didn't like any of the characters, huh? You didn't you didn't find Lee to be redeemed by the end. You didn't like Julia Roberts. You just like all of you die. Die right now. Not that I wish death on not that I necessarily wished death on them. They weren't reprehensible characters. They're just it's like window shopping. You know, you you're walking down the street, you look in the window, I look, it's George Clooney. Oh look, uh, he he started out uh, in the space of walking by this you know big picturesque window. He goes from you know hot shot superficial to caring a little bit about some of the people who might get screwed over based on the world he occupies. Now oh, look at that, he changed clothes from one window to the next. Oh look, there's Julia Roberts, and she starts with her hair down and ends with it in a ponytail. And here's this guy who's uh, got a gun and oh wait. No, that's not really a bomb, and oh, he's been shot. It's all just very, very superficial snapshots of characters. Consequently, I don't feel you as an audience member care about any of them. Okay. I wasn't that hard on them. I cared about the characters, but I I, I wasn't, I think, as intrinsically resistant <laughs> to what was happening in the movie as you were. I was much more willing to go with go with it than uh, than you are. And I think that I think that definitely plays into how we're reacting to the characters. I don't even think it's necessarily about my dislike for how you know for the technical aspects of it. You just never learn about most of these characters apart from very, very broad strokes. And most of those aren't okay. even now, go ahead. Well, no, no, finish what you're saying, because I want to move on to something else. Uh, again, broad strokes and not even saturated as far as, you know, color goes with broad strokes. They're very stock. They're very uninteresting characters on the whole. I mean, again, just real briefly, if you consider the, you know, the character of Kyle – we get that he lost his money and we start to get that, well, his wife or girlfriend or whatever, again, never actually explained whether you know, that we know he's the father of the kid she's carrying. Beyond that, we're not given insight into it. And we know that he made some really poor choices when it came to selection of the woman to carry his genetic material forward into the future. <laughs> we know his mother recently died, but a Apart from that, again, this is just 
it's almost like they're being deliberately vague with him in a desperate attempt to make him an everyman character. And it doesn't work. All right. Well, that actually dovetails into something I want to talk about before we, I, 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 we can go on forever with this, but I, I think, we, I think that in the interest of the listeners, we ought to move this along to uh, other things that we can talk about. But I think what you just said there dovetails really nicely into whether or not the movie was successful, partially successful, completely misfires on really what its central theme is. And that is that uh, the moneyed classes are taking advantage of the little guy and the little guy. The little guy can't succeed because the game is rigged. Um, In a way, I I think it did succeed even with the stupid ending because that's because it's an allegory. Um, what McNulty does with Ibis, which is his company, is supposed to, while it's a singular issue, it's a singular event, it's supposed to represent the wider uh, multitude of events going on in the world all the time where uh, smarter people than you, than even you or I are able to manipulate markets. I'll give an example of what I'm talking about. This actually came up on the John Oliver show. It's a very small example, but it, it cuts. It, I'm better at sort of speaking through examples than sort of over-explaining things. At least I think so. So John you are, Oliver, and that's fine because I'm the other way. So John Oliver uh, was talking about sports betting, and um, you know what, what's the one that sponsors the UFC? Uh, I think that depends on where you are in the world. Um, I think if you're, uh, I want to say ultimate. I think it's ultimatebet.net. At least in the, at least for the British stuff, it is. Okay. Well, for, for here, I, I just the, don't know. If you could look it up real quick and just yell it when when you find it. But there yeah. are a couple of big. You see them advertised all the time on uh, magazines and TV and whatnot. Um, and these are sports betting sites. And there's all, and, and in the sports betting commercials, it's always the same thing. Um, you know, for a little bit of money, you put it you down and you, and you, you know, you place your bets and you make all this money down, you know, down the line. And what John Oliver and his team did was that they did an investigation of these sports betting sites. And yes, there are people winning big money from them, but they're people who write algorithms. Okay. You write these algorithms for betting. Uh, did you mean DraftKings? Because that's the only thing I'm coming up with one. here. Yes, DraftKings is exactly what I'm talking about. So they're using algorithms to uh, to bet on, on DraftKings, as an example. And those people are making tons of money. But people who are just, unless you're extraordinarily lucky, um, just kind of going about the old-fashioned way uh, by instinct are losing money hand over fist. Um, and so the game is rigged. It, it's rigged for people who know how to manipulate it. And for everybody else, they're sort of tricked into believing that this is a way to make fast money when it's actually a way that you lose uh, tons of money, again, hand over fist. Similar thing here. Uh, you have Lee Gates who's sitting there telling you this company is safer than a savings account. And then the, and then. Be- because of purposeful manipulation, company loses money, the guy loses his life savings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in, 
there are people manipulating the market all the time. Think about the big short. Essentially, you had a handful of guys uh, betting on the collapse of the housing market. And while the entire world went belly, un- belly up, uh, they all made millions and billions of dollars. That's what this movie is supposed to be about. It's, it's an allegory for all of that sort of uh, summed up into one singular event instead of sort of showing you the more global issue going on in the world. And Kyle is your every, is your every man. He's your, he's your little man. He's your little guy. He's the guy getting screwed. Lee Gates is your, you know, is your guy who uh, is out there. You know, he's the salesman. He's the Jim Cramer. He's the CNBC. He's that commercial that you see in the middle of the night talking about fast money. And, you know, Ben Nolte represents all of the, uh, you know, all of the big money people and businesses in the world. So every everything is everything is a symbol of something bigger. And so my question to you, Robert Winfrey, is, and I already know the answer. The answer, the answer to anything I ask you is always going to be no. <laughs> Let's take this podcast. I will ask anyway. Was the movie even remotely successful in getting any of what I just said across? Ah. <sighs> When you threw the qualifier of even remotely on, I probably have to go with yes. Even ah. though, even though what I got out of it was so much more, wah, I'm stupid with my money, wah, someone took advantage of me, I don't, I'm wah, you're mean. That's what I got out of this movie was, I was stupid with my money. I listened to someone else who I had no necessary reason to listen to other than he's on television, but apparently that's enough for most people. I lost my money. Now I'm angry. Now I demand retribution. You you must understand, if the institution had a face, he would have slapped McNulty with the old gauntlet. He demands (laughs) satisfaction, Mr. Radlich. This came across to me as so whiny. As so whiny. Well, I'll tell you why I didn't regard it as whiny. The whole the whole setup to this is it's a glitch. You wouldn't understand. You know, we can get away with these things because we hide them in places where people won't look, and we tell them it's too it's too big for you to understand. And I think what the movie was trying to tell the public is it's not too big. It's not that complicated. And if you would only pay attention to what's happening in this world, you wouldn't be voting for Donald Trump. And you wouldn't be uh, losing all your money in, in the markets. See? Sorry, I have a, I have a tick. Um, no, you don't. <laughs> if only you would be paying attention, you would be voting for Bernie Sanders. Oh, Jesus, there's that tick again. No, so, because Bernie Sanders is absolutely not the answer I, to anything. Uh, hey, you don't have to tell me. I'm just saying that's the mood of Hollywood. So Wait, you mean the Oscars are also political? Of course. <laughs> hey, get out of there. Get out of there. So I think, uh, and I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. I think if you're looking for a movie to sort of wag a finger ever so lightly and say, rich people are bad, they're taking advantage of the of the. Uh, of the everyday man, um, but you don't necessarily want to sit through something intelligent. You want to have some thrills. 
You want to see movies without thrills. You want to see Hollywood A-listers, um, you know, uh, in a, you know, I in seriously a question whether or not Julia Roberts still falls into that category. I mean, George Clooney, even Clooney. I mean, is Clooney even a draw at this point? I mean, look, are they? Are they? I look. I don't think that's a, that's a whole thing for a whole other podcast. But the short short answer is. I don't think actors are draws anymore. I think brands are draws. No, no, Um, that's true. Um, I will second you in the sense that if you are one of those angry people who wishes to have your dislike of the successful and wealthy validated from an external source, even one as deeply and fundamentally biased as this hyper-liberal crap, then this is the movie for you. I would also please beg of you not to express yourself publicly vote in any meaningful way and I would encourage you in the strongest possible manner to simply rent the big short and go with that instead of this. Okay. I think we can close the book on this Mark, part how of the badly discussion. Mark, think flop? Why don't you just cut me off, Robert? And <laughs> I'm trying to set you up for the... I'm sorry. I'm trying to set you up for the next bit where we talk about the money. I know I was getting there, you asshole. <laughs> well, you see, I'm trying to I'm trying to edit this show like this film was edited. We're gonna cut things down on corners. We're gonna cut out the superfluous dialogue. We're gonna step on each other, and we're gonna get there faster. I don't like this. I don't. I don't want to play sorry. this game. <laughs> sorry, sorry. All right. So uh, this thing was released. Now, uh, Mark, I'm curious since I know you're looking at the actual list, and I'm not. Where did this thing uh, rank on its opening weekend? Uh, opening weekend. Okay, well, I'm actually looking at the Tuesday box office, so let me go burp. Um Okay. Uh, Money Monster opened third with an estimated $15 million on, I want to say... It's a $25 a, million. Dollar uh, $27, according to 27. box office mode. Half so of which was million. $15 million on a $27 million budget. It's currently, um, as of Tuesday's ticket sales, it's currently sitting at $22 million worldwide. Um, it made almost $5 million foreign. It's sitting at about just under $18 million domestic. Uh, it's got a, I think it'll eventually eke past its $27 million budget. Um, it'll probably do better on demand as people will watch it at home or whatever. Um, but I don't think people are rushing out to the movies to see this. And next weekend, it's different when we talk about movies like Captain America, which are huge tentpole movies, which is uh, now now approaching a billion dollars. It's now the number one movie in the world. It finally beat Zootopia, who for weeks was the number one movie in the world. You know my um, local theaters are still showing Zootopia? Was it really? Yeah, still selling tickets. Um, it's a little bit different when we talk about competition because for a movie, you know, for a small fry like this one, uh, next week it's got to go up against the nice guy. The, the nice guys, which actually has a really good rating on Rotten Tomatoes, a kids film which we're going to be reviewing next week called the Angry Birds movie. Maybe you've heard of the video game that it's based on. <clears throat> and uh, wait, that's based uh, on a video game? Yes, sir. Huh. And, Things you learn. And neighbor. 
and Neighbors 2 Electric Boogaloo. Um, and between the nice guys and Neighbors 2, I don't know what functioning adult's going to go see Money Monster. I don't know <laughs> just, what functioning just, adult went to see it to begin with, but... $22 million worth, you motherfucker. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I suppose we have slightly different different definitions of functioning. <laughs> okay. Um, in any case, I don't... It's weird, because I was looking at the... the um, Box Office Mojo will put up a handful of charts that will correlate to how the movie is doing. One of the ones that it... And I don't think it had like a particularly bad opening... For what it is, but no, one of the charts that it that that uh, that they've correlated with this movie is worst opening super saturated, of which it ranks 152. So we're not talking about an all-time flop here. This isn't exactly Jupiter ascending or Pan, but um, yes, it's it, it know, also it, speaks it, volumes to this movie that on a budget of only 27 million dollars, they're probably not going to make pro- they're not they're probably not going to turn a profit. Um, not in the theaters. I think eventually the movie turns a profit once it goes on video on demand. Um, I think people will be interested in it. But it's it, it was a weird choice for the summer. Um, you know, like I said, they snuck it in on a week where there wasn't a whole, there wasn't anything really else it was competitive with. However, Captain America had come out the week before, and Captain America was going to dominate the month of May until X Men. And Alice with the Looking Glass came out. So, it, you know, this is one of those where, in a different year, it would have come out closer to Oscar time. Um, and while the plot probably wasn't going to win in the Best Picture nomination, uh, George Clooney or Julia Roberts might have been nominated for uh, uh, Best Actor. No. Yes. No. Um, Under yes. no circumstances over the last decade. Are the performances turned in by anyone in this film worthy of Oscar nominations? It, they would have received a nomination. They wouldn't have won. They would not um, have even received a nomination. So going back to my initial statement, it, it, there, there comes a question of why choose, well, why remove it from later on in the year where there's less competition for a movie like this and throw it right in the middle of your summer blockbuster season. It was an odd choice. Because it's failed Oscar bait, and those usually either can flop against no competition, or you can put them in there against legitimate competition, and when they flop, you have an excuse. Should have saved them for October when all this, you know, when, <laughs> when everything's a horror movie or garbage. Thank you for differentiating between those. <laughs> well, I'm, you know. Unlike I'm just curious. You, have I talked you into do- reviewing any horror movies this year? Uh, I don't know, but uh, since you brought it up, my wife wants to go see the BFG now, and that comes out the same week as Tarzan. I cannot express to you how much I would rather watch the BFG. Do you want me to take Tarzan off the list and we'll just do the BFG? Eh, you know, uh, again... The CGI in Tarzan is going to be so bad. I'm bleeding. I'm going to be bleeding from my eyes. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll let you know when I'm going to see it, and if you can see it, we'll we'll, we'll do a quick review at some point after we both see it. If not, it'll make our year-end show. It'll make our year-end show. Um, right now on the docket for October, there's only two movies: Monster High and Underworld Five. 
Um, God. Hang on. List of, list of movies 2016. This is awesome podcasting information right here. Uh, <laughs> we can work it out. We can work it out later. I no, looked at it the other no, night. No, you have your picadillos, and I have mine, and now you got me started on this crap. I'm now need to finish it. All right. All right. October seventh is the Girl on the Train, which is Universal and DreamWorks um, live action thriller. Middle School, the worst years of my life, which is CBS Lionsgate, and that's a live action comedy. And Voyage of Time. Um, it's a documentary. Now, I looked up the slate of films for this October last night. There was not really anything that stuck out in my mind. I'm surprised we were doing Underworld because those movies all just, no, not good. But I'll get what to happened? talk about how bad they are. So, yay me. What happened to, uh, what happened to um, fucking Monster High? I don't know. Probably got pushed. Like, you know, that other movie that's not being made that was supposed to be released around October. Um, well, October 14th is still Underworld. Um, October 21st, we have Boo, a Medea Halloween. I know that that's right up there on your list. We have a second Jack Reacher movie, and we have Ouija 2. Uh, again, none of those appeal to me. I didn't care for the first Jack Reacher, but if you want to fill the slot, that would be my request, because I didn't care for Ouija either. I don't. Um, and then on October 28th, we have Inferno, which is a uh, Columbia Pictures drama directed by Ron Howard, which is amazing. It's the third in the Da Vinci Code movies. Oh, yeah. We, I'm going to add that one to the list. We should do that. I thought we were. No. Um, it no. Up early. Yeah, no. Inferno should be on the list. I actually need to get the book and read it before I go see the movie. Yeah, so far I've seen all the Da Vinci movies. All right, so Underworld 5 is October 14th, and then what was the date on that? 28th is when it comes out, so. And then, okay, Inferno, October 28th. Yeah, totally. Um, and then that's it. That's it. That's it for October right now. Yeah, October's oh. not a good month. Weird. Um, I'm wondering where Monster High got off to. Eh, we'll figure it out. Anyway, so that's uh, so that's that on uh, as far as the uh, as far as the, the money that it made. So now we go to my favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> Everyone did we get? Part did we podcast. put up the uh, soundbite for this? No, we never really agreed on anything. Oh, well, if you wanted to make my life, ab- I'm not even going to say it because you'll do it. Never mind. We'll find. We'll put our heads together this week and find something for next week. I had an idea, but I realize you might think I'm serious. And uh, no, no, I I really couldn't tolerate it. I think. All right. How about this? How about um, okay? Here we go with what did the critics think? Ah, <laughs> uh, goofy. I'm down. <laughs> Uh, that's why I kept it in the soundboard. All right. I shared some of these with you earlier. I'm going to actually not just read the rotten ones. I'm just going to read some random ones here. Cause oh, they're find both the good ones so that I can verbally eviscerate them. Okay. Let's start with uh, tomorrow uh, on the long road to ruin, 
we're going to be looking at a Cleveland classic, the the Major League trilogy. So, in in honor of that, I also expect a long discussion between you and Sean regarding the different endings to Major League One. Sure. As you I didn't even saying, know there were two different endings, did you? I did because I read the Wikipedia page. You jerk. Now, for the third time, in honor of our Cleveland trilogy, um, the Major League trilogy, we'll start off with the Cleveland Plain Dealer, Michael Heaton, as he says, and quote, the story is smart and compelling, even if it does pour it on a big thick with a Hollywood ending. All right, guys, uh, the new UFC heavyweight champion, Steve Amiocic, uh, lives in Cleveland. I don't know if anyone hearing me knows him, but if you do, kindly tell him that this person who lives in his city needs to be forcibly ejected. (laughs) This is not a smart story. This is is as paint-by-numbers as you can get. If you looked up a template in screenplays for dummies under the thriller section, you would find this movie. This is not an intelligent movie. The fact that it deals with the material that people normally regard as intelligent does not make it an intelligent film. It makes it a stupid film about a theoretically intelligent subject. Robert Rotten of the Larry Movie Scope says it tries to be a bit like Network. I'm mad as hell and I'm not quite going to take it anymore. However, it doesn't quite make the grade. Doesn't quite? (laughs) <laughs> Network is a great movie. Network is a great movie. And no, it, this thing fails so miserably, especially when you compare it to any other movie dealing even remotely with these same topics that is competently made. Okay. I'm, I fear for your health, not just your mental health, but your physical health. I don't want to have you have a stroke on this podcast. So I'm going to break this up with some ones that I'm pretty sure you're going to laugh at. And I mean right. laugh like laugh in agreement, not smash your head into the, into the desk. Michael Snydel of Taste Magazine says, Money Monster wants to offer us a risky look into the flames rising up around us in this corrupt economy, but it hits with the equivalent of a kick me sign rather than a firebomb. Ah, oh, kick me. Uh, yeah, a kick me sign plastered on some poor toddler in like, you know, preschool. It's, there's no kick to this movie at all. Tony Medley of the Tulican Times says, this is either a spoof or a devastating attack on those charlatans on TV who spout all they know about investing in stocks and bonds, which is basically nothing. It's well-directed. It's well-directed, Robert Winfrey, and acted and has the required, hang on, hang on, has the required tension throughout. Mark, was there any tension for you in this movie? No, not particularly. Guys, Mark is the average moviegoer by and large. Mark felt zero tension in this film. Mr. Critic, you have failed. Well-directed, uh, fine, a boom mic never swung into scene, and... <laughs> it's mostly in frame. 
It, it's mostly framed well, so I'll, the directing is competent. The acting is utterly replaceable. I mentioned this at the top of the show. Every single person in this cast could be replaced with someone else, and you'd basically get the same movie. No one I, I should... does anything as abysmally stupid as Tommy Wiseau in the room, so fine. I suppose that makes you a good actor. Okay, so I wanted, so I shared this one with you earlier, but I got to do it again because uh, because of the comment that I made about it. This is Andrew O'Hare of the ultraliberalsalon.com. There's a reason why I'm qualifying this as ultra-liberal. The pieces would seem to be in place, but Money Monster is a stodgy, moribund plotter loaded with stock characters that wouldn't have felt edgy in 1983 and has about the same contemporary urgency as your average late-night rerun of CSI New York. Yeah, that's about I'm right, gonna, objectively. I'm going to say now what I said earlier. If you are a liberal filmmaker who have filled your movie with liberal actors, and the message that you are espousing, for lack of a better phrase, comes from the left side of the political argument, you and you lose Salon.com, <laughs> you done fucked up. Yeah, that's fair. That's the rough equivalent of Fox News reporting something negative about Ted Cruz. I mean, th- th- just for those of you who aren't aware of the political forces and alignment there. Dana Barbuto of the Patriot Ledger says, George Clooney, Julia Roberts, the pedigree behind the set and real-time thriller Money Monster is reason enough to see the movie. No. No, 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 no. Everybody out there, within the sound of my voice, I want you to pay attention for this brief moment. Because I know we're just kind of background noise the rest of the time. For this moment, I, I implore you, pay attention. Do not blindly support any project based simply on name value. Now, this is something I'm guilty of in the past, and I'm working on. I don't care about – look, George Clooney and Julia Roberts, fine. If you think they're great, fine. You're entitled to your perspective, Uh, and I don't mean that negatively. If you enjoy what they do, fine. Please do not let that color your perspective, and for the love of all that's holy – Read a few reviews first, and if the best they can muster from a positive standpoint is, let's look at these people that for some reason were a celebrity obsessed with, the movie is a fundamental failure. Screen Rant, Sandy Schaefer says, Money Monster is a well-directed and well-acted dramatic thriller. Way down, please, let me finish. Way down. A heavy-handed social commentary and implausible plot beats. Well, I'm sure you agree with the implausible plot beats, but heavy-handed social commentary. They would never commentary. let a man with a bomb out of a contained environment onto the streets of New York. You shoot him in the head, you take the explosion in the contained area before you ever allow that many more people to be put at risk. <laughs> I really felt like you should have dealt with the... Uh, 
the heavy-handed social commentary. Folks, this is about as heavy-handed as your average Disney Junior, uh, Sophia the First script. I've never seen I've never Sophia seen the First, so I can't comment as to the veracity of that statement, but given that you're generally a level-headed fellow, I'll agree with you. This was my favorite from the one I sent you earlier. <laughs> Stephen Rebello, Playboy Online, says, it's a well-made, well-meaning piece of entertainment, and it's grown up. It's good to know yeah, that no. they, it's good to know they still, they still employ really solid writers over there at Playboy. Let's start with the real basics of this one here. Well-made encompasses the entirety of the, and the totality of the film. I've talked about the writing being weak. I've talked about the acting being stock and basic and uninspired. The plot points being bogus to the point of lunacy. And the relatively poor, uh, again, the relatively poor writing in the sense that the characters are all incredibly stock. So well-made, I mean, what's your bar? Well, let's qualify this. Is your bar Sharknado? Because if if you've got to be that bad before we're going to say it's a poorly made film, fine. You're better than made-for-TV sci-fi crap. Beyond that, I will not necessarily acknowledge that. Well acted, no. Again, you're a high school drama production of this film carries the same type of thespian weight as what George Clooney and Julia Roberts and everyone else put into it. I don't agree with that, but okay, I'm, I'm reading this one only because. And hang on, finally, is... and finally, grown up, no. Unless the unless. Your only qualification for, and this is his words, mind you, grown-up material, is a unnecessarily high amount of profanity. If that's all you need to say it's a grown-up film, sure. If by intellectually or emotion, from an emotional maturity standpoint, no. This is every whiny 20-year-old in college who thinks capitalism is bad. All right, this next one I'm going to read is for the purposes of people to uh, go find it uh, on Forbes.com. comes from uh, Scott Mendelson, again, of Forbes. I read the entire review. I really liked it. I thought it was well-written. I thought it really captured my thoughts on the movie, um, not necessarily Robert Winfrey's, but I'm reading this just because I think it's the best review out there. And I did so, and in doing so, I posted it on my Facebook page. Money Monster is a good movie, one worth seeing, but it is a good movie that I just couldn't buy. You don't have to respond to that. Just I wanted people to know that it was out there. Um, I want to read one more here, if I can find it, and then I think we're uh, going to say goodnight, Eileen. Uh, goodnight, Gracie, rather. Good night, John, boy. Uh, Brian Orndorff of Blu-ray.com. I actually like this one, too. Foster isn't, Jodie Foster, isn't identifying financial world crimes and money monsters. She's celebrating them, turning personal ruin and chilling corruption into fodder for an exceptionally tedious thriller. Fair enough. Um, I certainly agree with the tedious part, despite the fact that the movie is only 90 minutes long. Lou Lemonick of the New York Post, a clever financial thriller with comic overtones that's a solid investment, hardy, hardy, are. 
of your time, thanks to stellar work by George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Stellar is so far off the mark in this particular instance, it's not even worth mentioning how wrong that is. And as far as the comedic overtones, I'm going to be perfectly honest. This movie would have been better served as a comedy than trying to be a serious dramatic thriller. The only successful parts of this movie, are, at least the group of people that were in the same theater as I was, all, you know, eight or ten of them, uh, were the bits that were funny. You know, the wife or girlfriend or whatever, you know, launching into the this poor schlub who's lost everything. And the bit at the end about vines being made out of McNulty's reaction to having the detonator thrown at him. <laughs> Last one, and I always like to read... Uh, from the Salt Lake Tribune. In case oh, Winfrey, thanks for that. Because <laughs> in case Rob Winfrey really uh, disagrees with the person, he can go over there, punch him in the face, and say, not funny. Yeah, I'm going to um, drive 60 minutes just for that. Yeah, you will. Sean P. Means of the Salt Lake Tribune. I'm up for a good tarring of the corporate class as much as any pinko member of the lamestream media, but even I have my limits. And Muddy Monster runs over those limits with the subtlety of a SWAT team. Well, now that I know he's a pinko, I might have to go punch him on principle. But other than that, I agree. <laughs> okay, this is actually this is actually the last one. Um, I, I made myself remember to re- to read this up because I because when Amy Nicholson is is on uh, movie fights, I tend to enjoy her. So I wanted to make sure I read her, her, her little line here that's captured on Rotten Tomatoes. So this is coming from MTV of all places. And Amy Nicholson, who is a top critic and a featured fighter on Movie Fights presented by Screen Junkies. Check that out if you haven't. It's an awesome podcast. If Bernie Sanders is elected president, Money Monster will be the only movie allowed on Air Force One. And for the record, she gave the movie a C plus. I think that's a generous C plus. Uh, I think C minus or D plus might be more accurate, but I, I appreciate the line. Okay. We love, we love you, Amy Nicholson. Invite me on, invite me on movie fights. All right. Um, so that's that. That's our coverage here of movie monster. Uh, I liked it. Winfrey hated it. We managed to talk Worst about it. Worst movie I've seen all year. Unequivocally. <laughs> All right, we're out of live time, so let's hit the plugs and hit them hard. All right, there's no uh, uh, UFC event this Saturday, so I don't think I have coverage of anything. Uh, But you can go back into the archives, listen to myself and Jeff Harris review UFC 198. Stipe Miocic knocked out Fabricio Verdum in the first round, which was sad for Mark because he likes Fabricio Verdum for ending Cain Velasquez again. But he's got a heavyweight finish in the first round. Uh, elsewhere, Jacare, Ronaldo Jacare Souza just embarrassed Vitor Belfort. And Christiane Cyborg Justino done wrecked a bitch. <laughs> you can find my full report of that event in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. This coming Saturday on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show, it goes live Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Jeff Harris and I will be previewing UFC Fight Night 88. Uh, it's headlined by Thomas Almeida and Cody Garbrandt. Uh, it's a really good fight. There's a couple of really good fights on that card. So tune in for that. We'll have fun. 
Mark wasted two hours of his life reviewing Hatebreed last night. Because uh, Hatebreed is not good. Because it was time to murder it. And Hatebreed hate is, is not awesome. good. Hatebreed uh, is amazing. Mark, if you. we're just gonna do, if we're just gonna play the opposite game, we're gonna have to go in a very different direction. Uh, what do you got coming up? tried to set you up for plugging what you've got coming up in the near future, and then I was interrupted by, you know, noise. Okay, well, here's what I've got coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks. Now the world is my trigger and I'm here to fucking pull it. You know, actually, given the relative cost of shotgun shells, that's probably an accurate statement regarding that person. So, if you like that little bit of awesomeness, you can check out the entire review of Hate Breed, the Concrete Confessional as we reviewed it on the Metal Hammer of Doom. Check that out in the archives here at the Rattles and Broadcasting Network. Uh, this week, Long Road to Ruin um, is celebrating baseball. We went from the Little Leagues last week with the Bad News Bears trilogy. This week, we're hitting the Major Leagues with, as I said earlier, Major League. And that's going to be it for Long Road to Ruin for the month of May. Next week, Robert and I will be reviewing the Angry Birds movie. Um, and the other Robert, Mr. Cooper, and I will be reviewing, uh, finally, Vector Terminal Redux, as Robert Cooper finally will be off work so we can do that. Um, also next Friday, a couple of announcements. Alice with the Looking Glass comes out. We're probably not going to get a chance to review that because it's also coming out the same weekend as X-Men, and I can only go see so many movies. Uh, I will be taking my daughter to go see Alice through the Looking Glass, but... I can't imagine we're going to have time to review it. Um, I can't imagine it being any good either. As far as albums that are dropping, uh, the Jelly Jam is back. Oh, shit. Yeah. If you love progressive rock the way I do, and I know you do, you're going to go pick up the Jelly Jam back after all these years. Their album, Profit Drops, on May 27th. Um, You can also check out... uh, Last week, we have a review of uh, Captain America Civil War. We also did a really fun uh, Marvel trivia podcast. That's in the archives. So go ahead and check all that out. Um, after Angry Birds, we'll be reviewing X-Men Apocalypse and Long Road to Ruin. We'll be back on my birthday to review the original X-Men trilogy. So that'll be fun. That's all we got going on. There's only uh, half a good movie out of those three films. <laughs> so go ahead and check all that out. And that's all the plugs for now. Again, uh, 
you know, if you really want to hear some amazing music, check out Metal Hammer of Doom, Hate Breed, The Concrete Confessional. And then when you're done with that, go in the Wayback Machine, check out the Metal Hammer of Doom reviewing The Divinity of Purpose, one of the best albums ever captured. Just amazing. All righty. <laughs> those of you interested in hearing Mark uh, shill your merchandise on this show, you can contact him and work out, be, work out some kind of sponsorship deal. <laughs> well, it's true, man. I loved it. I, the last two Hatebreed albums were great. And I, I swooned. They were so good. Yeah. Uh, again, for those of you interested, we have a listenership. We are prepared to read your copy. All right. Get us out of here before I play Hatebreed again. Uh, I'd really rather you didn't do that. So for Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey. We'll be back next week to talk about the Angry Birds movie. I imagine Mark will have many jokes about my mental health uh, related to the anger management courses foisted on the birds of the island. So tune in for that. Should be funny. Uh, And we'll be reviewing that. Until next time, for Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding everyone out there to please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. 